0: From Wakefield, it's the Nolan Carr at Night Show, inviting you to join Nolan and his guest this week, Bill Shunning, to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And after a week off, I'm proud to say I have the guest of all guests, originating from the city of, <laughs> originating from the city of brotherly love, as one of its favorite sons. This man has several other monikers as well. Some may call him ingenious, a savant with stylistic sports sayings. Uh, Texas is by Sam a musical maestro or even to some of a certain generation and location the voice of death but to those who've been listening to Charles but to those who've been living in Charles Barkley's favorite city aka San Antonio for the past two decades plus may recognize Bill Showing as the voice of the San Antonio Spurs radio it's both an honor and privilege to have you join us this week on the program how are you this evening
1: very good thanks for that long introduction I'm not sure if I can live up to all of that
0: well hey Clearly, if if you're in the correct books with Greg Popovich, the greatest coach of all time, I guess you're doing something correct. I, I want to start like this, right? I have the gate in your profession. You've had exact experience with, with the last few years of, of craziness. And as as we've been speaking tonight on May Monday, May twenty 2023, we've been post-pandemic lockdown for a while now. So for you, a veteran, not just of radio, of the sports media world, that's a bigger conglomerate what's it like to finally get back into the arena this season but also travel and that first you know experience of, of that um, imagination
1: yeah Nolan that's a really good question because you know this was a tough year as far as wins and losses were concerned for the Spurs but it was a great season for us because uh, we got a chance to, I'm talking about the broadcasters now uh, a lot of the broadcasters around the league certainly with the Spurs uh, we didn't travel during the pandemic so we were basically. Uh, looking at road games on television, we we're calling the game still. Yeah. We were broadcasting the games, uh, but it was off a monitor, and uh, that presented quite a challenge, especially for this old guy. You know, I <laughs> had to teach this old dog new tricks. You know, which is not always easy to do. Uh, but we were very, very thankful to get back on the road this year and actually see the road games, travel with the team, uh, and also get to get, know the guys a little bit better because yeah. we had not really had good access uh, to the players except through Zoom. And, you know, when you're in a Zoom call with four writers and a couple of other broadcasters, you can't really get to know the guys very well. So so this year, having a chance to do some live pregame interviews and taped pregame interviews and uh, postgame as well and traveling with the team and seeing guys around the hotel. uh, It was really cool to just kind of get back into the swing of things and uh, back in the flow, part of the traveling party again. Uh, So uh, it it was really a fun year, even though we didn't have a lot of wins.
0: I know. Through your book and other interviews you've done, you talk about, it and pronounce me. Uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, by Sam's influence on you a, a, as a young kid going to the Phillies games, for most people, maybe that broadcast or, or do radio, whatever the case may be, they realize at some point that their athletic skills aren't going to take them to the NBA, to the NFL, to MLB. So for you, when was that moment you realized, I'm a good athlete, but I won't get to that level, so let me try to find some other area to get into sports?
1: Well, I kind of knew very, very early that I wanted to be a broadcaster, regardless of how good I got to be in baseball. And I was a pretty good baseball player through high school, uh, but I never had any dreams of playing Major League Baseball or anything like that. I wasn't that good. I was only about 5'10 and about 175 or 180 pounds, so I didn't have the kind of pop they want most first basemen to have. Uh, but I knew from an early age listening to broadcasting uh the ball games. You mentioned Baisam, uh, who's a native of Texas, uh, who spent his entire career in Philadelphia, and I kind of had the exact opposite thing. My whole career has been in the state of Texas pretty much, except for my first year in Illinois, uh, and then uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I'm the complete opposite of the guy that I really try to pattern myself after a little bit. Uh, the thing I like most about Baisam and the reason why he's one of my heroes is because uh he was very melodic you know i like to write songs and i like music a lot and it was almost like he was singing his play-by-play so uh when i was 10 years old falling asleep to him listening to him one night uh, i kind of knew what i wanted to do so uh, i never really had that uh worry about what else am i going to do this was what i pretty much made up my mind to do now i had some backup plans within the dream for instance if i didn't make it as a sportscaster i love music so much uh i would Okay, now, not as gladly as being a sportscaster, yeah. but if I couldn't make it in play by play and make it in sports, uh, I had a backup plan. But of course, early in my career, I had to do news as well and commercials and take out the trash of Wednesdays. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, in small market radio, and I worked in small markets for 10 years, uh, you got to do a little bit of everything. And uh, it turned out to be a blessing, Nolan, because you got to do so many different things that you really appreciate the opportunity to do sports. So I had to cover city council meetings, and school board meetings, and all this other stuff, uh, just in order to uh, get to do the game on Saturday afternoon.
0: Well, I'm sure also, and maybe there might not be a huge connection from school board meetings and things of that nature to sports broadcasting and sports radio, but all those experiences you have covering those different areas help you maybe in situations covering sports that maybe you wouldn't even get to experience if, if that wasn't the case uh you went to temple for a year then the school the aab you went to afterwards for six months where you harnessed your skills and you got a job right after that program to be at the level that you are you there has to be some level of success that is different from others growing up Re- covering games as maybe a high school or before <laughs> college do you remember the moment you realized i have a knack for this and my ability is pretty good where it's not i don't want to say it's super easy but it's not as difficult maybe for others
1: yeah you know um my mom really supported me a lot when i told her at the very young age of 10 i was like a third or fourth grader that i wanted to do this she went out and bought me a panasonic tape recorder now, i know that's foreign to you that's a long long time before you but they actually had these little panasonic cassettes and with little built-in microphones and you could even have a get a for another dollar get a little cheap uh, remote microphone And uh, we would imitate neighbors on the steps and we would uh, imitate other announcers. So I had friends that would do that kind of stuff with me. And then every once in a while I would turn down the TV and do my own broadcast of the Saturday game of the week. And I didn't know that I had any kind of a knack for it. I just knew that I loved doing it. Uh, And then when I got into high school and started writing a little bit more uh, and I really learned how to write when I was in high school, Um, I I love that part of it too. And uh, the writing skills have really become important for me uh, because I've got to write a lot of intros and outros. I've got to write a lot of reports during the course of the year. Uh, And uh, obviously uh, during the pandemic, I wrote a book over 300 pages So, there there was a lot of writing going on there. So, uh, you know, having that uh, ability to write, I think, really helped me down the line as well. And being a news, you mentioned the, you know, covering city council and those types of things. Uh, even though you're writing things about things that you didn't necessarily want to cover or write about, you had to, that was part of your job. Yeah. So, I think that th- those skills certainly helped me down the line.
0: Nowadays, and you obviously see it with, with social media, and people can go viral quickly in terms of getting their <laughs> yeah. names out there with TikTok and YouTube and all that stuff to get a lot of views. And, It's it's maybe more convenient or a faster track to get somewhere where maybe when you were growing up, there was no social media. So you have to pay your dues. You have to really have the hunger and take any job you can. Do you see that from your perspective? And do you think that today's generation of sportscasters aren't as hungry, perhaps, as maybe your generation or, or people around your time were?
1: Well, I don't know if it's completely fair to, you know, uh, categorize everybody that they're not as hungry as other guys were. I think everything's different. The, 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 obviously, the mediums have changed so much. In fact, uh, at a recent NBA meeting, uh, I was not in the radio meeting. I was in the audio meeting. <laughs> we're no longer radio. Now we're audio dissemination. You know, we're audio content. So you know, things change quite a bit. And of course, a lot of people now that listen to the games, uh, don't listen on the radio they listen to uh, to the game on another device yeah. uh, on their computer or on their phone or whatever so uh, a lot of different uh, ways to get that message out now whereas before if you were a radio it was 590 on the dial yeah. or whatever the, whatever the frequency was for the radio station so in that regard things have changed but I think there's still a lot of guys that have passion for what they do uh, but I think that it's a, a, a different uh, industry completely now sure. uh, because of live streaming my son does a lot of live streaming right now uh, he loves doing play-by-play and uh, he's much more technical than I am he can put a broadcast together in a live stream and I can't so uh, I've got a lot of respect for the young broadcasters coming up because uh, you know obviously they learn with computers it's a little different for us older guys we had to kind of play catch up Uh, but uh, no there's a lot of talented young guys out there as well.
0: Now I just turned 23 a few weeks ago and I'm working a part-time job in my hometown meanwhile when you were 23 you were already fast into your career and and at several different stops Besides your brief time in Illinois, and then, of course, you have you made your, your, your name known in Texas for the different stops, Sam Houston, uh, University of Texas, and so on and so forth. For you, how important was that quick progression for you to get to that big-time job where then, you, where then other people realized the quality of work you were doing so you didn't have to worry about getting your name out there?
1: Uh, that's another good question, Nolan. I, I was always anxious to take that next step, but I wasn't always ready for that next step. You know, sometimes uh, a little bell goes off in your head. and you says, okay, uh, I think I've been here long enough. So I was probably at Sam Houston State for about three years. When I thought, okay, you know, I'm starting to develop skills uh, for play by play uh, and I'd like to try to maybe look around a little bit for a a job in a bigger market at a bigger school. Sam Houston State was a great school. In fact, while I was there, they were moving up to Division One and uh, it was a great experience for me for six years. Uh, But I'd say the last three years I was in Huntsville, I was setting out resumes and tapes uh, and looking for other opportunities. And uh, I got it in 1989 when the University of Texas, uh, well, actually, KLBJ Radio that had the rights to the University of Texas right. hired me. And uh, therefore, that was my first step uh, into a really big time college sports sure. uh, with the University of Texas.
0: Now um, I'm curious, fr- from some of your perspective, was there ever a moment or maybe just in general to anybody um, who's been doing it for a while, a moment where you thought, oh, I wonder what it would have been like if I stayed there or you know, having the bug to stay there longer? Or was that just a moment where you enjoyed it, but you realized that your time was needed somewhere else?
1: yeah well I was trying to move up you know and I had a wife and a kid at the first job I had uh, one child uh you know as I was going to Austin we had a five-year-old so also looking for better opportunities in terms of being able to make money and support your family uh but for me it was always the goal of getting better and then moving up when you're ready to go and obviously moving to Austin in 1989 uh it was a big big move up from Huntsville which was really a small college town to a major college town in the capital of Texas sure. now of course uh, Austin is just completely blown up it's doubled in size guys yeah. uh since we moved here in 1989 now it's the 10th most populous city in the country uh, we still live here in Austin even though I drive down to San Antonio for the games uh, but it was a big opportunity for me but uh you know I, I felt like I was ready but time will tell when you get that opportunity it's sure. a very very competitive field uh and yeah. I was very very fortunate to get the job in Austin uh, I was told by Tom Dor the guy that hired me that 65 guys applied oh, uh and uh, I was fortunate enough to get it yeah
0: there, there you go congratulations on, on that aspect um you know Texas, whether Huntsville or Austin, you know, you were working with guys, Brad Sham, Jerry Truppiano, Craig Way, but regardless of, of that, you know, Texas, huge state, you're covering teams that are very successful at the college level, and you're, you're a relatively young guy. For that aspect, you're probably expected to be on top of your game as close to 24-7 as, as you can be. Experiencing that where you're now expected to be an adult and be professional all the time. Was there a moment of nervousness or aspect of did I make the right decision to come to the spot and I'm worrying about being on top of my game?
1: Well, that's a good question as well. But I think one of the things that I try to do from the very beginning, even when I was doing high school ball, was be professional. Always be prepared the best I could, Uh, know the other team the best I could. Now, as you know, you've probably covered some high schools. It's not always easy to get the information that you need to really, really do a solid job because it's much easier when you're at the collegiate level and there's a sports information director or a public relations director uh, in the NBA or Major League Baseball, whatever the case may be. So uh, when you're doing high school, you got to work a little bit harder to kind of get the information uh, to make sure that you. you have the proper information going on. But I tried to be a pro from the very beginning. So I never really had that adjustment. Oh, now i got to really be a pro because I'm doing the, the Texas Longhorns and there's mm-hmm. 65 stations on this network. Uh, when I was doing, you know, KSAM and Huntsville was the only station carrying the Sam Houston State game. So it was quite a bit different. But at the same time, I felt like the responsibility of the listener did not change because I had to be prepared as I, as well as I could uh, for that game, because uh, even though Sam Houston State might not be a household word uh, around the country, somebody in Huntsville was listening to that ball game, That's and right. I wanted to make sure that they knew I was into it, and I was prepared, and I was passionate uh, for the broadcast and for the team, uh, just like it would be years later at the University of Texas, and of course with the Spurs.
0: Sure. night now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in 1996, you were the recipient of the Best of Austin Award for the from the Austin Chronicle for best talk show, talk radio show for your show Sports Day, co-hosted with Jeff Ward. Compared to now at that stage in your career, how important or impactful was it for you that you now recognize the high quality of work that you're doing?
1: I think it's always good to get a pat on the back, especially when it comes from your peers. Uh, But that's not why we do this. Right. I mean, we we do this because this is what we love doing. This is what I always wanted to do. So I always want to be good at it. I always want to be prepared going in and the talk show. That was part of my responsibility. And uh, it's funny because the guy that you mentioned, Jeff Ward, he's a former kicker at the University of Texas and a very, very good kicker at the time. Uh, When he played at UT and then, of course, later he got into the radio business, but we didn't agree on anything. It was funny. That's one of the reasons why I think the show went well because we just disagreed all the time and it wasn't like a forced thing. Sometimes I watch ESPN. I wonder, did they just pick out topics and I'm going to take this side and you take that side? That wasn't the case with Jeff. Jeff and I actually did not agree on a lot of stuff. We got along okay, but it was just so I think that that created enough tension for the listener that they could agree with him or agree with me and uh, they, they liked a little back and forth and we had a good playful banter, I think. So uh, that's important as well, uh, even when you do disagree with somebody. But uh, that was uh, back in 96. And it's funny because Jeff left uh, shortly after that. And then I started a a while uh, doing a show with Craig Way, who became the voice of the Longhorns after I left. We're still very good friends. And um, to this day, I really enjoyed working with Craig. And I don't think I ever won an award for a talk (laughs) show, uh, but it, it was just as good a talk show as the one with me and Jeff. But it was just a little bit different.
0: Sure. Well, a few years after that, you joined a little known organization called an sp- expansion team called the San Antonio Spurs. Of which <laughs> this past year, they celebrated their 50th anniversary. You you were the host of the San Antonio Spurs podcast, where you interviewed uh, some of the uh, known players from the organization in the last uh, half a century. It's one thing to call Longhorn sporting events, but it's another thing to jump up to the NBA and calling one of the premier. Um, organizations of, of all time. And at that time, they were a few years into, I believe the Tim Duncan experience That's and uh, uh, Tony Parker was around that time. David Robinson had been there yeah. for a few years joining that. Now you have entered, you were a big fish in the college <laughs> pond. But now you're a smaller fish into the huge pond. That is, or ocean, I should say in the NBA world doing that. What was your expectation starting out and Were you super ready to to do that next step?
1: You know, I was prepared, I think. Uh, I didn't know the NBA as well as a new college ball because obviously I had done college ball for 18 years, six years at Sam Houston and 12 with the University of Texas. I had to cover the NBA some on my talk show, but it's not the same as knowing the guys, traveling with the guys, knowing the ins and outs, knowing where to eat on the road, you know, all those little things that come with being part of an organization and learning how to do this, flying on a charter. You know, <laughs> we flew commercial mostly at the University of Texas. Now I understand they fly charter most of the time, uh, but it was a whole new world, and it, it wasn't. A challenge certainly, uh, but uh, the fact that I had done so many basketball games uh, during my life at the high school level, the junior college level, you know, the major college level, so uh, I wasn't nervous necessarily about the game itself. I felt like I could call the game. It was the knowledge of the league and getting sure. to know the league. And that first year, Nolan was difficult because I was still doing Longhorn football. Yeah, uh, when I agreed to take the job with WAI, the flagship station for the Spurs and for the Spurs radio network, uh, it was determined that I would still finish the football season. Uh, So I had a few conflicts there. I missed about four or five games my first season early in the season when I couldn't be in two places at one time. So that made it a little bit more of a challenge to kind of get into the flow of things as far as the NBA. But I feel like by January, when the football season was over, and I really started getting in the flow of what I was doing, I could pick it up and get the momentum. And uh, fortunately, I've been there ever since.
0: I mentioned some of the players that they had early on in your time with the Spurs. At what point covering the games as the radio voice for the team, did you realize that this organization had something special?
1: Oh, I knew it right away. I mean, when I took the job, I, I knew how good Tim Duncan was and I knew that uh, they were going to build around him. David Robinson was quarter, kind of the tail end of his career. I caught the last two years of David's yeah. career uh, and his final year, they won the championship yeah. in 03. Uh, Tony Parker had just been drafted. We didn't know how good he was going to be a young kid from France late in the first round. They had already drafted Manu Schnobli, but they had not yet brought him over. Yeah. He was in Italy. So we really didn't know about Tony and Manu. You know, there were foreign guys and uh, back then, Uh, international players weren't nearly um, as important as they are in the league as they are right now. Uh, So we really didn't know. But we knew uh, going in when I took that job that they're going to be good because they've got a really good coach in Popovich and they've got a really good player in Tim Duncan. I'm sure they're going to build around him. So that's exactly the way it worked. You know, Tony, of course, uh, was a rookie that year and uh, got the starting job at the age of 19.
0: Now, you've covered all their championships since you've got there. Which one's your? What? Which one was your favorite to call, and why was it the most recent one in 2014?
1: Yeah, the 2014 one was the redemption season because of what happened in 2013. As you recall, uh, the Miami Heat uh, defeated the Spurs in seven games. Yeah. In Game Six, the Spurs had a golden opportunity to win the title. Uh, they would have clinched it with a win. They had a five-point lead with 28 seconds to go in Miami and they were already quartering off the court. They had the, the champagne was ready. I mean, everything was, everything was set and ready to go. People were leaving the arena. And of course uh, uh, I think uh, they figured out 27 different things had to have to happen. Uh, And they all happened for the Miami heat to win that game. And that's exactly what happened. So, and then of course, in game seven, it was real close and Tim missed the tip in that would have tied the game with about 40 seconds to go. So it just wasn't meant to be. So it was a very, very difficult loss in 13 for that entire team to come back intact. Yeah. and beat the same team in the finals and drubbed them it was four games to one and it wasn't even that close believe me uh, it was a thorough domination in the finals in 2014 by the Spurs and that's why I think it was the uh, favorite title for a lot of us that were involved with the oh, team sure. during that period of time uh, because of what happened in 13 it was a great redemption season
0: well I want to talk about you, you just mentioned that the whole practically the whole team was intact for 2014 for their in any other situation, you know, LeBron James for now, the Lakers, although Anthony Davis is there when he was with the Cavs, he, or then Kobe Bryant with the Lakers, or then with Michael Jordan with with the Bulls as sort of the, the, the figurehead of the program. Why do you think it's so different with the Spurs where they have Tony Parker, one of the greatest forwards of all time? Uh, no, t- yeah, no, Tim Duncan, when I said Tony, Tony, <laughs> Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manon Ginobili, all three great players but never a moment where they're selfish. Greg Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time, was able to bring all these guys back year after year. Why do you think they're so successful with that ability to bring back these teams year after year and play so selfish, less basketball?
1: Well, you just mentioned selfless, right? And I think that's a big part of it. I think each of those guys at some point took less money in their contracts than they could have uh, if they really kind of held the team to the fire. But if they did that, then they probably wouldn't have been able to sign a Danny Green or Tiago Splitter or some of these other very important players uh, in the championship season. So I think that because they were unselfish, Manu Ginobili, for instance, you know, one of the great players of all time, a Hall of Famer, agreed that it would be okay for him to come off the bench. A lot of guys wouldn't agree to do that, sure. uh, but Manu decided okay, they need my spark off the bench, that's what I'll do, and that's exactly what he did all those seasons. Of course, early in the year, he or early in his career, he started some, uh, but he mostly came off the bench from about the 07 season on, and that was his role with the team. So, I know some guys would have had the egos uh, that they wanted more money, or sure. they didn't want to necessarily play with this guy or that guy. The culture for the Spurs is different. They're, sure. they're very, very close to Together, uh, And I think the fact that, you know, Popovich was the, the guy all through those years, R.C. Yeah. Buford was the general manager all through those years. So there was a lot of stability in the front office. There was a lot of stability in the coaching office. And therefore, you know, and of course, those three guys stayed together, the, the winningest trio of all time. And people don't realize the winning percentage. Manu yeah. Ginobili's winning percentage is 721. Mm-hmm. And uh, for players that played at least 1,000 games in the NBA, it is the highest winning percentage of any player uh, that has played. And, of course, I think Tony is like two or three, and Tim is in the top five. Yeah. So those three guys are, are three of the biggest winners in all time in NBA history.
0: This past uh, – a few recently, a week or two ago, they had the NBA lottery draft. And San Antonio Spurs got the number one pick, which possibly will be going to Victor Wembanyama of of France, which has been – he's been called a generational talent as such, like LeBron James, which great for him, I guess. Your perspective, but also prediction in terms of who they would draft first overall and how Victor would look on that team.
1: Well, I think most people automatically assume it's going to be Victor Wembanyama. Uh, I haven't talked to the front office. I'm not sure what they're thinking, but I think most people – pretty much feel like he's the guy uh, there's a lot of reasons for that uh, one is that he already has a connection to the organization uh, there's a great picture of him when he was about a 10 year old kid wearing a Tony Parker mm-hmm. San Antonio Spurs jersey uh, because Tony of course is the most famous player to ever come out of France uh, to play in the NBA and I think because of that Victor already had kind of a connection and he had already played uh, in Lyon so he knows Tony very well Tony's very proud of Victor uh, obviously with what he's been able to do so when the ping pong ball balls fell just right and the Spurs got number one, there was a huge celebration in San Antonio because they haven't made the playoffs last four years. And it's been very, very different because, you know, they made the playoffs for 22 straight years, which is an NBA record. The Syracuse Nationals, Philadelphia 76ers, uh, Syracuse was, the Sixers before they they moved to Philadelphia, they had made the playoffs 22 straight years. uh, And uh, so that the uh, Spurs tied that. So it's a a period of success that is really kind of unprecedented in NBA history because in 18 of those 22 seasons, they won 50 games in a row or 50 games, 18 seasons in a row. And that had never been done before the magic Johnson era Lakers had won 50, 12 years in a row. So they shattered that mark. So uh, the consistency that the Spurs fans are used to, uh, you know, wasn't their last couple of years. They've been rebuilding last year. was, a big rebuilding season, Uh, but it looks like they played their cards right because now they've obviously got uh, the number one pick, and they've also got a slew of draft picks coming up uh, over the next several draft picks, both uh, draft uh, lotteries or draft rounds. They've got the first and second round picks uh, coming up, a multiple number of picks uh, over the next uh, five or six years.
0: And that's the thing that the Spurs have also done successful at is, sure, they've had their fair share of top picks, but they've also been able to successfully go through the later first round, second round, late into the second round, and even undrafted players and done a lot with them. Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, two guys who weren't lottery picks. Uh, they have a few young pieces that are be good: Tyus, jo- uh, Tyus Jones, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Jeremy Sohan, and now Wemben Yema. How soon with this looking potential lineup do you see this team returning back to the playoffs?
1: Well, I don't know if I can fully answer that because I don't know what the team is going to look like next year. Of course, the draft is still coming up. There could be some trades made. I mentioned the fact that the Spurs have a lot of flexibility. They've got a lot of salary cap space. so They can can afford to sign a couple of uh, veterans, a free agent, maybe make a deal, a three-way trade. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now. I think a lot of moving parts, Nolan, before the draft and right after the draft. So we won't know quite what to expect uh, for next season until we see this roster. And we might not know what that full roster is until right before training camp.
0: Now, when you're not, when the seat, when, you, when your schedule with the Spurs ends, you know, more recently within April, but then when they've been super successful in June, you take a pause on that and you like to travel, state sure. national parks, you, music, recording music. You, of course, you wrote a book within the last year or two. For you, how important is that for you to once you're done with sports to sort of shut that down and just completely do 180 and focus on other things?
1: I would say it's very important, except for the last two years, I've been doing a lot of college baseball. <laughs> so uh, not as many games this year as last year. I mentioned the fact that my son does uh, UTSA university of Texas, San Antonio. Uh, he produces some of their games. So I've actually worked for my son, which is kind of crazy. Uh, when I think about it, but i um, I like to get away and do some different things. I think that uh, if you're all wrapped up in one thing, no matter what it is, I think it's good to have other interests. You know, I I always encourage young people to develop a different interest and and to try to, you know, whether it's like my wife and I fell in love with national parks. Uh, We both grew up in the inner city in Philadelphia, so we didn't have an opportunity, obviously, when we were young. and didn't have a lot of money to travel. And then, you know, now I've got this time because when I took the Spurs job in 01, they told me I got the summers off. So immediately I said, okay, that means I'm going to start traveling. I wasn't quite sure where, you know, uh, but we started hitting the national parks. We have a friend that lives up in Montana, and uh, we just fell in love with the outdoors and going out west and and visiting these different parks. So now we've been to, I believe, 29 national parks. We've hiked in 29 different parks, and we got three more this summer uh, uh, up in Kentucky, West Virginia, that area. Uh, we're going to hit a couple of parks up there. Uh, also, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park in Tennessee. So we're looking forward to doing that. And you know, travel is one of the things that I would like to do during my downtime. Yeah, I
0: want to. I want to end on this last question before these two little games. I have. What's next for Bill Schoening in his life, but also in sports?
1: Oh wow! You know, as far as I know, I'm still the voice of the Spurs, and hope to be for a while. <laughs> so we'll see what happens beyond that. But uh, you know, right now my plan is to you know stay in the NBA. I'm I'm very blessed with good health. Uh, my wife gets me up early every morning. We walk about three miles on our hiking trail real close to our house here. Uh, so I'm very fortunate about that. I live in a great area, Austin. So uh, I'm in a good spot right now. Um, I'll continue to follow up on doing my little hobby stuff. Uh, I go in the studio on Wednesday to finish up uh, two songs that I've been recording with uh, Nick Whitworth, my producer uh, and keyboard player. who's a great guy. Uh, um, yeah, so I've got all these other interests. We mentioned the fact that we're going to be traveling quite a bit this summer. i got some family I want to go up and see in uh, Philadelphia. So uh, I try to keep my hand in a lot of different things. Sure. I love film, you know, so I'll probably go uh, catch, catch some movies this year. I'm a big World War II buff, so I like to see all the movies about World War II. Um, and uh, I know you've read the book, but uh, that one line about uh, uh, the World War II interest, my son Carl, every time he sees me watching a World War II movies, Dad, I'm going to save you all the time. The Nazis lost. <laughs>
0: Last thing I want to do with you before I let you go again, I want to thank you so much, Bill, for doing this. It's called the One Word Challenge. So what it entails with this is that I'll throw out a few names of people who place certain things that have some connection to my guest this week. And he has to do his best to say a word or two or sentence, whatever he cares, because he's Bill. And he whatever comes to mind when he thinks of it. So are you ready?
1: Uh, you just need a word or a sentence? A word,
0: a word or two or sentence, whatever comes to mind when you hear okay. it. Uh,
1: okay. First
0: one, Philadelphia. Home. San Antonio. Tradition. Uh, sports broadcasting, life, uh, basketball,
1: <laughs> passion,
0: uh, hard work, important success, earned, Greg Popovich, icon, and last but certainly never least in this cosmic universe well called Earth that we currently live in, Bill Shoning. believer. Well, you, you have to be a big believer in life to succeed as much as you have. Well, good sir. Sir Bill, I, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time. You call me just Sir Bill? Did yeah, you just sir say Bill. Sir
1: Bill, do you not knight me? Am I going to get knighted by the queen or something sir or the Bill. king? Yeah, well, now it's
0: the, the, the king, the, the king of the world. Well, well, the the
1: queen anymore, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate Um, is there anything that you want people to look out for or to, to tune into that is of yours, whether it be Spurs or um outside stuff related?
1: Well, if you want to read a book, uh, thank you for letting me uh, publish, uh, publicize it a little yeah. bit. It's called Story, Sports, and Songs. Uh, on Amazon. You can order it online. It's a it's a fun read. It's basically about my career, but you know what I try to do is not write one long story. I wrote 101 short stories, uh, and so they're all different stories about things that happened in my life. There's Larry Bird stories, and there's all kinds of cool stories. Uh, not everybody's a celebrity in the book, believe me, but uh, we just had had some fun because I've had some you know really cool experiences in my life, so I wanted to share those. And when COVID happened. And I had no games to call. I had some time on my hands. So sure. I decided to sit down. I never thought I'd write a 300-page mm-hmm. book, but uh, it just kept going, so I kept going. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, for all those out there, Joe's because who the heck went not down the line when my guest Bill gets inducted into the, broad, not just the Broadcasters Hall of Fame, but for the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, you're going to say, oh my gosh, you are subscribe, subscribe, comment, share, follow, all that fun <laughs> jazz. Follow on Twitter, Nolan Cart Night Show, Instagram, no, Instagram, Nolan Cart Night Show, and Twitter, Nolan Cart Night. And the words of Johnny Carson, the DNF talk show, certainly like this one. I bid you all a heartfelt good night till next time.